0: On to today's show. Hello, and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Rob Niven to the show. Rob Niven is the founder and chief executive officer of Carbon Cure Technologies, the global leader in carbon dioxide utilization technologies for the concrete industry. Rob has the simple goal of making concrete sustainability both profitable and easy for industry. Under his direction, Carbon Cure and its partners are achieving their mission to reduce 500 megatons of CO2 emissions annually. Rob, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing great. I can breathe again. I'm just so happy to see the air clear and some of these wildfires to come under control. It was it's pretty difficult there for a week to see see what it was doing to our atmosphere.
0: So, where are you currently located?
1: I'm based in Victoria, British Columbia, so just across the uh, the Strait from from Seattle.
0: And so, you saw the smoke all the way up there.
1: Yeah, and in fact, the the smoke that was coming from from this west coast was uh, even hitting our other office in Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the other side of the continent. So, certainly, we were feeling it here. Uh, we had the worst air quality in the world for uh, for a few days. And we're just happy to have this all behind us.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that. I spoke to our social media manager earlier this week. We had a call. She's up in um, Seattle area. And she was looking out a window and she said, it's the first time this week I've seen birds because she had the same issue. And I was surprised the smoke came that far north.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there, were, there was a lot of smoke in Washington State. Um, you know, I actually used to be a forest firefighter to pay for my way through school. So I, I realized that there's actually always fires that are going on. It's just that the general public doesn't typically hear about them until they get out of control and become, uh, at risk for populations and, and property.
0: Well, hopefully they've got a lot of it under control by now. Mm-hmm. So Rob, I like to open my show by asking the guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be?
1: Well, I maybe that's it. I, I used to be a forest firefighter. I paid for my way through school that way. I I look back now and sort of laugh because uh, I think my journey on on affecting and climate change and fighting climate change uh, was even happening back then. It was just that. At that time, I was dealing with the other end of it is after climate had had taken its effect and led to bigger and more abundant, more frequent wildfires in British Columbia. Now I'm trying to to work on the same issue, uh, but from the other side of things, by stopping CO2 from getting into the air in the first place and, and climate change from happening.
0: While being a forest firefighter is interesting, I have to ask about the kayaking.
1: Kayaking? Um <laughs> well, I think it's all the same wiring. If, if you are uh, <laughs> of the mindset that you think it's a good idea to jump out of a perfectly good helicopter into a raging forest fire, fire, forest fire um, without an extraction pad, um, you're probably the same kind of person that would jump into a glorified Tupperware or plastic kayak and send yourself over a waterfall. Um So it's, uh, I look at it as similar to entrepreneurship as well. in that (laughs) taking calculated risks and don't look back, just, uh, paddle hard, keep your head down, you know, look for those eddies on the um, side of the river where you can take a breather. Um, but there are times when you just need to believe in yourself and, and just go for it. And, um, and, you know, hopefully you have some good people around you to help you if you get into trouble.
0: So while I have jumped out of a plane and bungee jumped, can you share what it feels like to go over a waterfall?
1: Uh, it's, it's awesome, actually. It's, um, gee, I've never had that question. It's, uh, it's something where you have to stay in control the whole time because there's a lot of small movements that you're making and you're actually working with the falling water and moving yourself with your paddle so that you land right and you land where you want to go so it isn't as though you are just jumping off the edge and closing your eyes and screaming it, it's uh there's a lot of uh a lot of control and focus that goes on and and to make it look easy is uh it does require a lot of hard work and probably a few failures along the way
0: you know i'm imagining that scene from that uh harrison ford movie when he jumps over with tommy lee jones
1: oh um it's that one with the uh convict uh forget the one yeah i know the one you mean
0: yeah but but those scenes i mean the the adrenaline rush is just watching those movies so i appreciate you sharing that um story there you're welcome so you mentioned carbon capture earlier you're with carbon cure you started carbon cure in 2007 can you give us an overview of what carbon cure is
1: yeah, just to be correct actually, I started a prior company called Carbon Sense Solutions in 2012 and Carbon Cure was oh sorry, in 2007. Carbon Cure was was created in 2012 and uh I I say that is because the prior company is uh is one that that was actually blended into the current version but it was focused on carbon finance uh for the spent concrete sector. Uh Carbon Cure was created in 2012. And that was a technology business that had developed a way to use carbon dioxide, a harmful waste house or greenhouse gas, uh, to make concrete. And considering the scale of concrete being the most abundant man-made material on earth, second only to water actually, is uh, is a huge, huge industry. And if we could take the CO2 problem, and try to solve that with this enormous industry by actually making the concrete product itself with CO2. It felt like there was a lot of potential there, at least from the science and and numbers perspective. But I think that the fire really was lit for me when I attended the first UN climate meetings that were held in Montreal. Uh, At that time, I was an academic and And it was a very important time for me because I was able to meet some of the people that had nothing to do with technology, but who were really living at the front lines of climate change and people who were being exposed to some of the early effects and having their livelihoods or even their heritage being wiped out by things like sea level rise or, or a glacial melt. And really were looking for help. And I felt empowered that I had actually something that could help with this and I could help people and this was only going to be a problem that was going to get much worse so I've never looked back since then and I think it's it's still something that really propels me forward and in fact it's gotten even more important now with uh having kids and uh, you know, we shared with each other that we both have kids and you know I want to leave behind a, a good world as well and I'm just so darn excited to be able to actually do something about it
0: so Feel free to get as technical as you need to. Can you describe to the audience how it works? And I'm going to add a question before that is, where do you source the CO2 from?
1: Yeah, let's start there. So the the CO2 today can come from any number of of, um, emission sources, or it can also come from direct air capture. At Carbon Cure, we are agnostic on where the CO2 comes from, but it does have to be post-industrial so that there is the maximum climate benefit. So today most CO2 that's used for concrete production at any of the nearly 300 plants using this technology is it's from typically ethanol and ammonia plants. So these are industries that have high purity CO2 and that CO2 is captured at the emission stack and then bottled and typically used for the food and beverage industry to give you you know, fizzy drinks or whether that be beer or, or, or soda. And it's also used for cooling and refrigeration applications. Now it's being used for concrete, but unlike some of those other applications, once you open up that can of whatever you're drinking, that CO2 is released. Or once that that product is cooled is that CO2 is released. And in this case, it's permanently mineralized as a nano calcium carbonate within concrete that provides concrete a performance benefit so if you were to go to any of the hundred thousand concrete plants around the world they would all actually look about the same from a basic observation is you would see large piles of aggregate silos of cement and sometimes fly ash or slag and a large mixer and a lot of trucks nearby that are collecting this mixed concrete which is comprises water cementitious material and aggregates and a few chemicals that gets loaded into a concrete truck and sent to a job site where it's still in its fluid form and poured into forms where it hardens with rebar um, and uh, gives it its, its strength and, and that's how the built environment is created what we do is we add another ingredient into that so you So next to all of those silos of of cement is you would see a tank of CO2 and we retrofit existing concrete plants so that CO2 is injected into the process as it's being mixed. That then creates a chemical reaction where the CO2 enters into the aqueous solution and precipitates as a nano calcium carbonate where the calcium comes from the cementitious material and this carbonate half comes from the co2 and that all happens in mere seconds and this nano material is then spread through the concrete and then it allows the normal hydration reaction of concrete which is how all concrete is is formed and strengthens uh to occur at a more accelerated rate so you get higher strengths. That higher strength then allows a concrete producer to use less cement to provide concrete of equivalent performance at the same price. So that gives you the soup to nuts version of most things you need to know about the technology. I would say that there is a very strong AI and digital component to this as well, where all of the data from these plants is continually being processed so that it's optimized for maximum economic and environmental and performance benefits.
0: So the AI part is very interesting. What do you use the AI for?
1: Well we're just starting on that journey and we've done a lot. So today today most are, I should say previously when we first started along this this pathway is we looked at how this technology was going to scale. We've always had a high ambition You know, our mission as a company is to reduce 500 million tons of year uh, of CO2 per year by 2030. So if you do the math, that's going to mean a lot of concrete plants that we need to work with. And there was just simply no way that we were going to be able to build a company the old way. That is typically done in this industry, which requires a lot of people and a lot of equipment and a lot of capital So we decided that for us to be able to have the most robust equipment and be able to operate it remotely and optimally is we needed to have an AI component. So early on when we were doing our hardware work is we were also building in the telemetry and the cellular networks, the edge computing capabilities so that this equipment would be able to collect all this data to be able to run optimally um, off of uh, inputs at at the production site. It also helped us with preventative maintenance issues Um, any supply issues with CO2. So these are all some pretty basic things. Now, as we look to the future and and following our investment that was just announced last week by some of the world leaders in AI, like Amazon and, and Microsoft, is that we are going to be applying some of the best practices from other industries with these large data sets that we've been collecting from concrete plants and then even collecting more data so that we can help them on performance and production, and also even engaging with the downstream um, construction community who are looking for more transparency on the environmental attributes of products that they're using to design and then ultimately build projects. So that could be a a roadway or a, or vertical structure like a a high rise or a school or or what have you. Um, So, you know, I think you're someone that also appreciates the enormity of what AI can unlock. And I think that we're in a position right now where a lot of that transformation has not happened in this industry, is that we have the data and the partnerships and the technology to be able to to contribute more benefits to the concrete industry that also provide more decarbonization.
0: So earlier you mentioned retrofitting. Can you perhaps share how long it takes to retrofit? A batch plant does the plant operate after shutdown etc
1: yeah i would i would point people to come visit and our website and and download our our ebook which we call our 500 megaton roadmap and it really lays out a lot of the principles on how we design technology so that it really works for the needs of concrete producers and one of the things that we talk about is retrofits in fact that's one of our key tenets is that this industry doesn't have an appetite for high capex expenses on new plants or just even high capex retrofits and certainly not any impacts on the productivity of the plants or downtime, whether that be from the installation process or just issues with equipment. So these are things that we had a lot of insights on since many of us did come from the industry, is we knew how important this was for this industry that is extremely low margins and high volume, so our retrofits today are done in less than a day. Uh, we don't even disrupt production, so a lot of the equipment is is all uh, t- installed on site without disrupting day to day production. And after the shift is over, there would be the final hookups, including the electrical and, and um, telemetry hookup. But all that can be done very easily, which allows us to scale at the rate that we need to scale to meet our 500 megaton challenge.
0: And I will put a link to the ebook in the show notes. You mentioned telemetry earlier, AI. Are you looking into or have you worked with smart dust? No. So smart dust are actually nanoparticle transmitters that they're saying, can eventually be put into concrete and they send signals at certain periods of time to essentially prevent, obviously, catastrophic events, but also maintenance requirements and should there be any kind of problems within the mixture itself. So I don't know if you're doing anything in that area.
1: I think it's certainly interesting. I'll look into that. I, it, uh, it would be complementary to the direction that things are moving in the industry where there, there's certainly a need for in situ data of the concrete itself, and there are companies that who are doing sensors um, to be able to track some of the material changes of concrete as it matures, and that this would certainly be within that space. Uh, we know some of the other sensor companies in the area, and we think that it's it's definitely interesting i'm I'm not familiar with smart dust itself, but this would just be taking that and downsizing it even further, which which sounds really cool. I'd, I'd like to learn more about that
0: absolutely. And also, i want to congratulate you on the recent investments you mentioned Amazon and breakthrough energy ventures. I think there's a there's a phenomenal opportunity for their for you going forward there obviously not only from their building perspective but like you mentioned the data management. so congratulations on that.
1: yeah, thank you. When we set off on this this path to, to do this fundraising round as we, you know, we were, you know, admittedly in a good spot. Um, fortunately, COVID had not impacted our business negatively. Uh, we had actually accelerated in growth and, and the construction industry as a whole had maintained its, its activities. Um, so those, those put us in a good position. So we decided to continue to go through our fundraising program, but we set ourselves a very high standard and, and, and not looking at how much we raised uh, as much as who we raised it from. And um, there is so much strategic value packed into this round that includes some some wonderful investors that go beyond Amazon and Breakthrough and include uh, Microsoft and BDC and Thistledown, the family office of Shopify, and some some very important prop tech funds that represent some of the leading property developers from targeted markets that we'll be expanding into such as Asia and Europe that where they're able to create that type of demand pull dynamic for that early market entry activity and who are seen as leaders all of these are seen as leaders and not only things like construction and digital but on climate and that was the overarching theme is we wanted everybody that was coming in to be sharing our mission and to have to act with the same ambition and urgency as we have. And I couldn't have dreamt of a better round of investors to come together. And I'm so excited to get to work with these groups and put our heads together on how we can collectively accelerate the decarbonization of the concrete industry.
0: Well, speaking of being a good company, you also entered a team into the XPRIZE, didn't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> About, uh, geez, I think it's uh, five years uh, that this process has been going on. So, um, I felt like just yesterday I was at the uh, launch event in in Manhattan. Yeah. So the Carbon X Prize, for those of you who don't know, is I believe the X Prize. I believe it's their largest competition from like a prize purse perspective. It's a $20 million prize purse for the, there's two winners they select that are able to create the most value from turning CO2 into products. So there are two sites, two final sites that where these uh, competitions will be occurring at a certain scale. One of them is in my home country of Canada, so Calgary, and the other one's happening in Gillette, Wyoming. And there was a semi-final stage uh, a few years ago. So it's an exciting time. Uh, You've caught me at the very end of the process. It's the winner will be selected in November. All of the teams are are operating right now. So they've built out their sites, installed all the equipment and are sucking up CO2 off of power plants and (laughs) turning that in at the other end of the line into real products that can be used in the economy. In our case, that's concrete but it's other things too, like <clears throat> nanomaterials and chemicals and uh, you know things like fuels and even vodka. Wow.
0: And just tip of the hat, I think your team is a women, woman-led team. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Jen Wagner is our company president and also leading our Carbon XPRIZE team. Uh, she is a, a huge part of our success as a company and uh, she leads a lot of the critical initiatives within the company as well as oversees a lot of the operations to continue to create that high performance culture that we have at Carbon Cure and, and one that we prize so much.
0: Well I'll be sure to check back in in November and see where you landed.
1: Yeah wish us luck we've got some great teams that we're up against and <laughs> it's one of those things as well as uh, you know at the end of the day it's the climate that wins so um, where all these companies, I'm sure, will be tremendous successes. And it's just nice to be having a friendly competition with some of these these great companies.
0: Absolutely. I wish you luck. You know, we were speaking before we started recording regarding concrete and my interest in concrete. Um, actually, my interest in rebar, the nerdy interest that I have, and the relationship between rebar and concrete. So I'm rooting for you 100%.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, just on that note, as a follow-up, uh, I would suggest that you get Boston Metal on the show. And they're, they're your rebar fix. And they're a, a super exciting company that are also part of the Breakthrough Energy Ventures family. And uh, they're yeah, just a great team. So I, I would recommend you get them on.
0: I will reach out to them. I know our COO will get a laugh out of this because He's often uh, teased me about the photo album I have on my phone of Rebar. So I'm a big fan of Rebar, so I will definitely reach out to them.
1: Well, steel and cement are those two, what they call hard to decarbonize sectors. And yes, for some people, unlike you and I, they don't find this to be sexy. But it's extremely important with all of the gains that we're making right now on energy decarbonization, they're not going to have as much of an effect on these industries which have so much process emissions from, from this inherent chemical reactions in the case of cement called calcination. So two-thirds of the emissions from, from a cement plant have nothing to do with energy. They're from this chemical reaction. So, and you know, the same thing would apply for, for steel. So it's, uh, it's a very, very, very important uh, issue within the climate change context that doesn't really get enough airtime. And it really has an effect on carbon accounting in the area of embodied CO2 emissions, which are the emissions of products that are used or from the building's perspective from the actual construction materials and the construction process before that first tenant or resident uh, occupant steps into a building and before the lights are turned on and the HVAC is turned on. So, very, very important topic that accounts for about fifty percent of the GHG emissions of a building over its entire life cycle, but all of those embodied CO two emissions are front loaded.
0: You know, in my mind, the relationship between rebar and concrete—it's the fabric of our society. It's the base, the foundation (pun intended) of you know what everything is built on, what the entire society is laid on. So, I agree with you wholeheartedly there.
1: Yeah, but it, you know, like the air we breathe. We pay no attention to it and we take it for granted, but it's, it's a really important industry, but it's also one that has a very consequential impact on the climate and it can't be overlooked any longer. We certainly need concrete. It's a wonderful product. It's resilient and, but we need to make sure that it's being decarbonized at the extent that's necessary for us to meet our climate targets so that we can, we can live this wonderful life that we have of certain uh, standards.
0: I agree. So I'm going to switch gears here, get to the crux of our conversation, which is the why behind what you do. You mentioned the firefighting and your interest in the environment, but what drives you, what motivates you to keep going on this journey?
1: A lot of things, um, you know, where I, without any particular order, like this is starts off, it's deeply personal. Like this is not a job. Uh, it's something that I, I love. And in some ways I feel like I have the best job in the entire world. And I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, this was based on my thesis. Um, and so that's, that's important. I'm a very competitive person. I like to win. I hate to lose. (laughs) Um, there's that, but, um, you know, that would apply to things like board games. Um, but this of course is bigger than that. Now, I, I look at this as a way to help solve a, a really big and important problem, and I feel like climate change. And this technology is within a class of technologies called carbon removal, which are one of the very few technologies that can actually reverse climate change. Um, so I, I don't wake up in the morning looking for reasons on on how to give it my best every day. Um, I, I have any number of them. And, you know, I mentioned my family before in the future and, um, and you know, there's a great commercial opportunity in creating value for my shareholders. And so there's any dozen of reasons why. And I, I don't think I could distill it down to one, but they, they all play their role and maybe one more than others on any given day. Um, it also, I hope, translates into some of the partners that we work with because we're a small company we're only about 60 people and we have the right model and and so on that allow us to have a much bigger impact but we definitely can't do this alone and i hope that some of the reasons that i have that drive me forward are that are can also be used by our partners whether that's customers or the tech community which we've grown so close with of recent um, of policymakers of con- this construction industry uh there media there's there's any number of groups that all have to play a critical role and in seeing this being a success and having a benefit for all of society
0: that's beautiful I love the idea of it not being a job it feels like it's just part of you I feel the same way about the work I do you know you mentioned not putting them in a particular order and I can really see that in my own life between my children and wanting to build a better planet or have a better planet, you know, climate change, et cetera. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Mm-hmm. So Rob, let's say 13 years or so on this journey, what's the most valuable lessons that you would say you've learned about yourself?
1: I think, um, you know, it sounds a bit cliche, but you do learn to trust your instincts. I think earlier on, I relied too much on people that, you know we're seasoned or you know came from the industry or this is how it's done and i'm sure that there were some lessons there that saved me some some scars but i also think in some ways it can hold you back and i think i think the sooner that you can trust your instincts more and to make those decisions um and make your own decisions and that they usually are the ones that come back and are end up being right anyways um, so there, there, yes, there's always a role for being coachable and having great advisors around you, but being the CEO and the founder, you have to own your own path. Um, the other thing I've learned is, is uh, this is something that actually Jen Wagner, our president, and and I have, you know, really have learned of recent is that there are, um, it's the sort of the Simon Sinek uh, narrative is that there are companies out there with much more resources than ourselves or history or whatever it might be, um, that may not have been as successful as us. You know, we are the world leader in this space. And I think that really boils down to having the right culture in your organization. And that's not an easy thing to do. And it starts off by having, you know, the right values and mission and vision and building up from there and demonstrating leadership every day. But to me, that's been something that I've learned is, is, is just to be able to foster that right culture in an organization no matter what you're doing is has really been something that i may have overlooked um, and not really appreciated how important that was in, until recent and once you see what really good culture looks like uh it's a beautiful thing and and you really prize uh how important that is to to drive the tangible things that you get measured on on a day-to-day basis whether that be financial or something else but it all it all comes from a bedrock of trust and culture
0: you know you brought up simon sinek and he released a book i think earlier this year called the infinite game are you familiar with it
1: i i would rather not say no i've heard of it but i I haven't read it but please please remind me
0: so it's a great outlook on taking a long-term view which i feel that we both are regarding you know it could be climate change, the planet, our children, but not thinking about it from a quarter to quarter or a year to year, um, you know, to bring Amazon up in in the conversation again, the kind of view that Jeff Bezos took when he first started Amazon, that, you know, we are not going to be reporting to you quarter to quarter, quarterly profits, we're taking a long-term view. So I highly recommend it um, to you and people in the audience. It's a phenomenal book. And I think it speaks to a lot about what companies are doing in this day and age, regarding a longer view, and perhaps even from an employer standpoint, the kind of individuals that they're trying to attract to their companies.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> as the guy who you know is you know where the buck stops, it's uh, it's an interesting concept, and I I do remember now that the concept here. I'll have to give it a read, but it it does take courage, um, to be able to say things like that, uh, where there is always this um, demand for that continuous validation that you're on the right track, especially if you're not profitable, uh, and that there are, there is investor money and people are looking for, for progress. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, and I think that all CEOs have to find that balance, uh, somehow, but there always has to be a portion of the long game. Otherwise you'll be redundant before you're meaningful.
0: Agree. So speaking of courage, it's 2025. What does the future hold for carbon cure?
1: Well, we we look at the future in in two pillars. Uh, and they all point towards our our mission, our 500 megaton mission by 2030. Um, so we you know we have to be by that time about halfway there. What that will look like is us having a very broad uh, adoption of carbon cure in plants, in all of the main economies. Uh, we're already on three continents today and we still have a lot of growth to do. We have to have developed and nurtured those right partnerships that are allowing us to, to scale up our, our reach. But just having our existing technology and more and more plants isn't going to be enough. So there, our other pillar is about innovation. So we, we have uh, four products that are in our in our development pipeline. Uh, our reclaimed water technology was just installed. Our first commercial unit was installed a couple months ago. It's also being it's also the technology we're using for our Carbon X Prize. Uh, so we need to have more and more of these systems installed. Uh, we need to have policymakers and regions that we're supporting uh, putting in place the enabling policies for accelerated growth of low carbon concrete. Uh, just like what we've we've seen happen in places like Hawaii, and most recently happening in the state of New York with the Low Embodied Carbon Concrete Leadership Act, we see a lot of that blueprint being adopted by other economies. Um, and I would certainly look for um, other innovators to be finding other compatible technologies that can be used in conjunction with what we're doing. So. I don't know if that's enough detail, but I it it does in my world fall into, you know, innovation and deployment.
0: It absolutely does. Can you speak to your reclaimed water technology?
1: Well, along the journey of developing this technology at the start from scratch, like we weren't following anyone. We were creating what we were doing from fundamental science. And I'm originally a chemist, and then this was my engineering thesis. Um, but I think developing all these sort of first principles understanding of how co2 reacts with cementitious materials and looking at it from the lens of that's great that you can create environmental benefits but that's almost worthless unless you can create the economic and performance benefits as well it's easy to drive a lot of co2 into concrete but (laughs) it makes the concrete poor quality and it costs more money it's like no one cares so I guess what I'm saying is that we've developed ways and understandings uh, how we can use CO2 in other ways. And in this case, for the reclaimed water unit is that we looked at concrete plants and all the producers that we're working with and we listened to them. And everybody was complaining about how do they treat their their reclaimed water. And if you fly over any concrete plant, you'll notice these big ponds, these settling ponds, or sometimes it's a mechanical system called a reclaimer. But at the end of the day, they have all of this slurry they have to deal with, and there are actually, believe it or not, some plants that just dump this into the uh, into the environment. It's super high pH and destructive. Uh, obviously, that's not going to going to last. And a lot of them just treat it for pH and then dump it. But and that's kind of in the practice. And then some of it, and then the rest of it, sent off to landfills. And then we looked at it and said, "Well, hold on, like this is all full of cement." and water that you paid good money for why are we throwing this away and there's reasons for that there's performance limitations there's things like set time and water demand and and variability and um, those things were not operable but we found out a way from our understanding of co2 that we could actually use one waste product to treat another waste product so that it could be used to make concrete so that you needed less virgin material so this is the hallmark of circular economy thinking And, and, uh, it took us about two years to develop this and did a lot of pilots in the field. And, and now we're really excited to be deploying this, but what it allows us to do is, is expand our CO2 impact at an individual concrete plant, but then also tackle this water and solid waste issue that is, that is persistent and a, a really difficult problem at every concrete plant around the world. So it really allows us to expand our impacts and at the day, at the end of the day, also help our. Concrete producers lower their cost of operations. Um, so it does check all three boxes again. So we're really excited to continue to build that out. And we have other technologies that follow a same na- similar narrative. Um, and then there's the digital expansion of products as well. Um, but all of this sort of comes together to drive CO2 reductions and cost efficiencies and resource efficiency uh, for concrete production.
0: So that is really interesting, adding new technologies to the mix. You mentioned earlier you're on three continents. Which three continents? And the business model to enter new continents is it through channel partners? Is it licensing? Is it uh, your own offices?
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, great question. We we are uh, we use a direct sales model in North America, and uh, right now in South America and and in Asia, uh, we use channel partnerships. Uh, typically, what we do is when we first enter into a market. Uh, we directly sell. Uh, we do do our homework to determine who would be the best fit to be that that pioneering local market partner, a first customer. Um, and we support them and really wrap our arms around them to make sure they're a success. And then at that point, bring in channel partners to scale it up once they have that, that um, initial plant in the local market that they can use, as well as all the other installations worldwide, mainly the U.S., um, we are expecting to be in, in Europe very shortly. We have a number of very exciting things that are developing there. And with these new investors that, that have come on as they're all building, um, very significant projects in markets all around the world. And we expect to be working with them to be driving through the specification process, um, uh, carbon cure for these projects. And we have the same kinds of discussions happening with governments where they're building that into their public procurement um, specification documents. And then that allows us to have that demand pool uh, to accelerate our entry into some new markets, as well as working with some of our international concrete partners that, you know, may, may be working with us in places like San Francisco, um, but then they also have operations and thousands of operations and many other markets too so there's a lot of different ways that we can do it but ultimately overseas it will be a channel sales model
0: well the opportunities seem endless and i look forward to your success Thanks you so, very much Resh. you're welcome so rob last question if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience what would it be
1: yeah great there, there's a lot of different communities that we work with that are looking to to, to join and to be able to see this kind of uh, decarbonization of the built environment. And um, let's just start off in the order of, if, if you're in the public policy space, there are some very simple and zero or low cost uh, policy measures that you can have a profound impact on decarbonization of the built environment. Uh, so I would look to models like the low embodied carbon concrete Leadership Act in New York or come visit our website for some ideas on policy, but I think the idea there is use your purchasing power. Um, you are a very, very important customer in place and certainly things like co- concrete uh, and should be signaling the market uh, and aligned with your climate policies. In the construction industry, the The same would apply for procurement and, and uh, specifying low carbon concrete made with CO2. Is, is a way that you can affect change, not only for your project, but once that project is supplied, is that concrete plant will be uh, transformed for all projects afterwards, uh, whether that be public and private, and that one project can have a lasting effect on driving decarbonization within your community. And for entrepreneurs, what would I say is, um, you know, just just go for it. Um, I think that, I think now is a great time to be in the clean tech space. There's a strong appetite by investors. Uh, there's tremendous talent of people that are looking to join companies with a, an environmental mission. And it's a great time to be, uh, to be starting a company in the space. And certainly the, the need is there for more, more, um, more entrepreneurs with a diverse set of backgrounds to be able to, to drive change. Um, So those are some examples.
0: So I appreciate all the advice. And as you were speaking, my mind was churning. And the reason it was is because we are part of this organization called Clean Techs, and they have a webinar coming up here in October. They had one earlier this year. Essentially, it was the cities of Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, sharing their recently released climate action plans. And... The idea about procurement is a very interesting idea where perhaps a city is going to put out an RFP for a project, and they are going to decide which vendors they used based on their climate action commitments. I really appreciate you sharing that. It's definitely got my mind stirring.
1: Well, you don't need to look any further than Austin. Um, They're already on this it's uh, specifically even on concrete and low carbon concrete. Uh, we work with Lauren concrete as well in the area, uh, have a relationship with the city. Uh, there's been some great work there. They, um, they uh, had a resolution uh, to this effect earlier in last year. So there's a, a lot happening in Texas. It's the, I believe the largest concrete market in the U S um, but there's not enough that's being done already. And so there's still lots of room and not enough time. So, please reach out to me. This is probably one of the top two things that can drive decarbonization and it can be done without any cost and no impact on performance. It's just showing a little bit of political courage and creativity. But fortunately, there's a lot of other jurisdictions that have already blazed this trail and you just need to be able to speak to them and I can put you in contact with who they are or come to our website, it's all all listed there under our government's page.
0: And I'm going to do what I can to share the word, you know, in my network and the people I speak to. I'm very excited about what you're doing. So enjoyed speaking with you. Is there anything that I have not explored or you'd like to talk about before we go?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think there's any any listeners, I've mentioned it a couple of times that are are tuning in from, from New York State or or have some kind of relationship there is that there is some very important landmark legislation coming out um, this, uh, LECLA, uh, act uh, that was uh, brought forward in the Senate side by Todd Kaminsky and the assembly member, Robert Carroll. Uh, we really need to make sure this is a success, uh, because I think that there are a lot of other jurisdictions that have a close eye on this and would are yearning for some kind of a policy tool that they could use. So, um, so please reach out and support that process. Um, if you, if you have a voice in, in New York state.
0: Rob, I appreciate it and I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: My pleasure. All the best.
0: Thank you. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, The Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com, under the original content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend. Or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com, or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the cleantech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.